Blog Talk Radio. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. Hi, and welcome to the Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Our guest, Maury Warshawski, is a consultant, facilitator, and writer who spent 30 years specializing in the nonprofit sector. His work is characterized by a commitment to the core values of creativity and thoughtfulness. His writing credits include Shaking the Money Tree, How to Get Grants and Donations for Film and Video, and the Fundraising House Party. And Carol Morey has been a donor to the Roy Dean Grants for many years, right? Yes, Claire, thank you very much. Maury gives a free consultation to the winner of the grant. And Maury, we sincerely appreciate your being with us today. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Well, we have a lot to cover, and we will be working directly through your book, Shaking the Money Tree. Um, so... I think this book is so excellent. There's, there's nothing that isn't in here for, on funding documentaries. It is really well written. It's concise. It's a lexicon. It should be on everybody's shelf so that they have it for when they want to do a funding party or they want to go after government grants or making an individual ask. All of this is covered really well. But I know how you work, and I know that to you, the first important to do is to get your mission, vision, and values. So let's start there and tell us what these are and why they're so important. They are the basis for everything. And in fact, every client I work with, be it a filmmaker or the Museum of Modern Art or a dance company, I make them clarify these three, what I call large rocks. Uh, And each one of them is... uh, a different little animal has its own feeling about it and its own functionality. Uh, and they're very simply core values, mission or purpose, and vision. Uh, and it took me years to understand that until or unless I could get a filmmaker grounded in these three, it was very difficult for me to get them good at fundraising. And that probably their fundraising efforts were hampered because one, two, or three of these hadn't been clarified in their own systems. Um, So let me talk about them pretty quickly. Uh, The first is core values. So each of us is imbued with a set of values that uh, can either shape our activity or we can ignore them. But if you ignore them, you ignore them at your own risk because they're so deep to you, they're so deeply held. Uh, And the importance of raising these values up to the surface is that they become a strong tool for both branding and deciding what kinds of people you want to work with, what kinds of projects you want to work with. And the function that they play specifically in fundraising is that, excuse me, my theory about fundraising is that it's a values exchange. In other words, when the funder, the donor, gives you a dollar. What they're doing is they're investing in a set of values that you are going to extend in the world for them. You're doing that work for them. And the reason they're attracted to you and your project is because it holds values that they hold very dear themselves. So it's just crucial for the filmmaker to understand that and raise their values to the surface and use them. Um, I use them for shaping the look of the website, the look of all the materials, the way you talk to people. So that's the first rock is core values, and they never change. The second large principle is mission or purpose. 
And that's really your raison d'etre. That answers the question, why am I a filmmaker? Why am I making films? What is it in the world that I want to change through my work? Uh, and once you can locate that, what that does is it strengthens your comportment. Comportment is a word I use a lot in my work. It shows people that you're a person with a strong reason for being around. <laughs> and it also helps articulate for you and the world why your work is important. Funders don't want to work with a filmmaker who isn't on a mission, who isn't really serious about their work and understands why they're serious about it and what difference their work is going to make. So I'd say 90% of the filmmakers I've worked with when we start doing the work, do not have a mission statement written or haven't thought about it. So it's often one of the first things that we do together. And I tell my filmmakers, all my clients, that any time and all the time that you spend understanding, shaping, and articulating your mission is time well spent because it makes you stronger in your work. So one of the functions, the practical functions in the mi of the mission is it becomes a very strong driver. So I'm passionate about this because what's what's important in the world of non-commercial filmmaking, especially documentary work, is that it's very, very difficult work. You talk to any filmmaker and ask them, is this work easy or hard? They'll tell you quickly, it's hard. <laughs> You're laughing because it's so true. And then you ask yourself or ask them, well, what's hard about it? They will never say that the filmmaking is hard because they love doing that work. What's hard is the business side of filmmaking. And the hardest part of the business side of filmmaking is fundraising, looking for, asking for money. The unfortunate fact of life is that if you take a look at a filmmaker's life and divide it up by percentage of effort, I'd say that 75 to 80 percent of an independent filmmaker's time, life, is spent dealing with business issues and especially fundraising. Well, they weren't built to be fundraisers. They were built to do business work. They weren't trained to do that. They didn't go into filmmaking because they wanted to go raise money. So the issue I'm trying to get back to is what would help the filmmaker get over that uncomfortable hump of having to look for money when they don't want to do it. It's the mission that does that. It's knowing that you've got a really strong reason for making your film. So every time you hit the wall and want to stop doing the work, the mission comes back, taps you on the shoulder and says, now wait a minute, we have a little agreement, don't we? I'm here for you. Now you've got to be here for me. Absolutely. And that's why... That's yeah, right. and that's why I... Yeah. And <laughs> you hear this a lot from... What Go is ahead, going sorry. on is that the people they're talking to have, who have money have a mission. They have a yeah. vision. And they are working under their core values. So when you come in with like minds, they feel more comfortable about giving you money. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's the beginning of that comfort level. Uh, so I always tell filmmakers when you're dealing with, with a donor, any kind of donor, you have to make two things happen very strongly. One is you must make them love your project. But the other thing is you must make them love you. Yes. And a lot of that love has to do with trust. So you've got to step back and say to yourself, how can I engender that in my environment as I walk through the world, as I go to parties, as I talk to people randomly, when I'm in the grocery store, wherever. <laughs> it's your comportment, and that comportment is strengthened by understanding your mission and really believing in it strongly. Because the other thing it does is it's an energy nugget. In other words, see, when you're talking about your project, there has to be some passion in your voice around right. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're going to be talking about your project thousands of times maybe hundreds of thousands of times, during its life. Well, how do you keep that energy and passion up for it? You know what you do is you draw off the mission. And the mission is your little energy nugget. It gives it back to you all the time. So 
that's probably enough about mission for right now. <laughs> it is so, so important. Thank you very much. It's clearly uh, outlined and really easy to understand because that is the basis. And every day when you get up and you think, oh, my gosh, I, now I have to do this or that. Yes, and that is part of my mission, and it takes me to my vision. It's all there. You're so yeah. right, Maury. Yes, and that's why I use the phrase "get over it" a lot. <laughs> you know, the filmmakers say to me, "Well, I'm shy, I'm uncomfortable, I don't like rich people, I have a hard time talking to people, I can't ask somebody for money." And I say to them, "Well, what's your mission?" They articulate their mission. I say, "Is that mission still really important? Isn't that more important than your little problems about being shy? <laughs> get over it." <laughs> and it's right. the mission that gets you over it. Yeah. Uh, so the last little part of this puzzle is uh, is vision, uh, and the function of vision is is just simply to be able to look into the future and say to yourself, this is what I want the future to look like. Very specifically, I want I want it to look like this. I want the world to change in this way. I want myself to change in this particular way. Here's what I want to have three, five, ten years from now. And once I make the client uh, articulate the vision that they really want and identify the hot spots in that vision, the things that they want more than other things, yes. and if they can get really yes, if they can get really passionate about that, then the vision space serves a couple of functions. The first is that's the space of excitement. That's how you get people excited. You say to them, here's what uh, our community looks like today. But if you come on this journey with me, if you give me some money and we create this film, here's what the, our community will look like three years from now. Here's the change that it will make in people and the environment, whatever it is you're working on, right? And when they look at that picture, that gets them excited and makes them want to come along on the ride with you. That's the first function. The second function, that's the important function, in terms of my relationship with the filmmaker, is that it's the vision that makes you strategic. Once you can locate where you want to go, then you can begin to say to yourself, how do I get there? You know, What are the best ways, the most strategic ways to get there? And that helps you decide every hour, every day, every week, every month, what you're going to do next, how you will spend your money, how you will spend your time, uh, all of that. So that's the importance of the vision and the vision space. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Maury. You're welcome. So, <laughs> long answer to a short question. <laughs> well, this is foundation. So now you've got something about uh, in, film ra in film funding, five quick wins and five bold moves. Oh, let's yeah. go to that. Yeah, well, that's... Uh, one of the first assignments I'll give a client as soon as we've done this initial work is I'll say to them, um, let's take a look at the future, and let's take a look short-term. Can you identify five quick wins, five things that you could do that are absolutely doable, that you will absolutely do, whether they are large or small? In fact, I prefer small things. Pick five things that you could do that would move you forward really quickly uh, in the next week, few weeks, or in the next couple of months. Uh, and I have them commit to five of those things that they will actually do, and we follow up on them. And the, the importance of that is uh, momentum. <laughs> momentum is a large part of my work. Never underestimate the importance of having some momentum. Uh, so the reason I say five quick wins is I want you to select five things that you know you can actually do and then feel a sense of accomplishment about it. It's, it's totally positive experience, and it gets you moving forward. So, so to do big things, you need to accomplish small things first, and they need to have a sense of momentum, and you need to feel good about yourself and what you're doing. There's nothing worse than committing to things that you think you can do and then not accomplishing them. Right. No, you need because some wins at the beginning. You've got to build your confidence in the fundraising yeah. game. Absolutely. Yeah. So start with small things that you know you can actually do 
and make them happen. Uh, and then the corollary to that is something I call five bold moves because you do want to take risks. You don't want to stay safe. So I'll say pick five large things that could have a really significant impact on you and your work. What might they be? And let's start working on them long-term as well. Because uh, the work only works if you have two kinds of vectors happening at the same time. One is really large ideas, uh, large commitments, and also really small, tactical, doable things. So you want to be working with both of those at the same time. And that way you really accomplish important stuff. You have to be strategic and tactical. Great, great. All right, so now one of my favorite things is getting into um, the house funding party. Yes. So Um, um, first of all, you have a great book on that I'd like you to discuss. Uh, And uh, you say in, in in the book... Shaking the Money Tree, you say that 80% of the funds will come from people. So <clears throat> I love the house funding party. I think that I've seen some real great successes and some failures. And I think all of it is in the pre-planning. It's just like yes. a production. You you have to pre-plan, and your book outlines everything. Yes. Um, so let me, if you don't mind, let me talk first about getting money from individuals. Okay. Uh, you kind of set the groundwork for talking about house parties. Uh, So there are a couple of important things about uh, uh, going to individuals for money. And the first is, and this was a shock to me when I discovered it, is that a minimum of 80% of all donations to all nonprofit enterprises uh, in America have always come from at least 80% uh, individuals. So individuals represent annually over 80% of the donations that are given to all all nonprofit enterprises. You know, religion, health, education, you name it. Uh, When I discovered that, at the time I was working for the Bay Area Video Coalition, and I was spending 100% of my time writing grants. And it, it literally changed my life overnight. I realized that I had to understand and explore the science of getting money from individuals. So the great there are some great things about individuals. One is that you're surrounded by them. There are millions of individuals. <laughs> the other thing that's great about getting money from individuals is that it's the fastest way to get money. So fast is important in the film funding world because all other ways of getting money are much slower. And quite often you need money pretty quickly. Uh, And the lovely thing for filmmakers with individuals is that you can go to individuals throughout your campaign and have a steady stream of money coming into the project, which is great for morale. The other beautiful thing about going to individuals is you don't have to give them a grant proposal. So there's little... The little paperwork, often there's no paperwork. You're just making an ask. Um, and the other thing about individual, which is completely different from all other funds, sources of funds, is that they're very consistent. Once you can get someone to give you a donation, if you keep them happy, if you stay in touch with them, if you're good to them, then they will give to you again and again and again. This is not true of any other type of funding. Uh, no, but I see that as a fiscal yeah. sponsor. Uh, I have one filmmaker who's out there, and he'll take. He gets a hundred dollars. He gets a fifty-dollar check, and then he gets a fifteen-hundred-dollar check, and he gets a lot of those. And at the yeah. end of the year, you look, and he's raised fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. And and you get to know the people because they come back next year and next year. Uh, yes. He's done three films with me. He's on his third film, and it just proves that the people will stay with you over and over. Uh, yes, so I'm going to get to the house parties pretty soon, but I want to dovetail off of what you just said because it's so important to the current life of a filmmaker, and that is uh, 
encouraging community and creating a community around you. And this is the hallmark of the new filmmaking is community. And individuals are, you know, the basis of that. Uh, so the beautiful thing about uh, fundraising with individuals is it puts you in contact very viscerally and directly with community. You're building community. And it forces you to deal with people one-on-one a lot, which I think is a good thing. Uh, so if you're going to be making more than one film, if you're going to have a life as a filmmaker, then this is just an important part of that puzzle. So it turns out, uh, if you look at how to get money from individuals, there's a whole panoply of of ways to do it. Uh, but my favorite way is the fundraising house party. And that's a little tool that I discovered when I was at Bay Area Video Coalition and asking filmmakers how they raise money. And I met a couple of filmmakers who said, well, I throw a house party. Uh, and they taught me how to do house parties. Um, and that's why I wrote this little book on fundraising house parties, because if you do the pre-planning right, if you do everything right, they always work. If you don't, then they're liable not to work, but it's important to do them right. Uh, and for the filmmaker, there are many advantages. Uh, one thing that the filmmaker loves to hear is that it's not the filmmaker who asks for money at the party. And that's such a relief for the filmmaker, for the creative person. They do have a job at the house party, and their job is the the job they should be good at, and that is getting people excited about their film and talking about their film and their work. That's all they have to do is show up and do that. But the rest of the party is in the hands of the, uh, the host uh, and hopefully a host team. Exactly. Um, hmm? And I, you know, the one thing I think that, that filmmakers sometimes forget is the amount of time and effort that went into making the trailer. They show them a three, five-minute trailer, and they say, oh, that's nice. But they don't know how many shots there were, how much time they spent, and they shot it, they edited it, all of the uh, components that make a film. Um, Because one night at at a funding party, I had been chatting and all over the room talking to people about the the film and to get them to donate – and I finally sat down on a couch next to an, a retired gentleman, and he was watching her trailer. And I said, look at that. Oh, she's in Vegas. Wow, she's in Texas. She's in Paris. Oh, my gosh, look. she!" And he looked at me. He said, I had no idea. And so I said, let's run it again. And <laughs> he yeah. was the biggest donor of the night. Yes, that's what it takes. Uh, so I, I often say it's good to have a plant in the audience that asks the right questions. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, and you want to let people invite them in to ask as many questions as they want so that they get involved and you deepen your involvement with them. And that's the part of the beauty of the house party is that type of involvement. Yes, and <clears throat> you should always ask for another house party from everyone at the house party. Yeah, make it an option on the pledge card that you're handing out to everyone. Yes. Yeah, uh, and I would say most successful house parties generate at least one more from someone who came that night and got really excited and said, I want to do one of these too, because they're fun. They are fun. They are lots of fun. Now, you also have something unique that only you have ever talked about, and that's called a brainstorming party. Could you share that with us? Yes. <laughs> uh I have a lot to say about that, but I'll talk about it briefly. It's part of my theory that I call open it up. Open it up. And I say this to all my clients. Uh, so I'm going to back up a little bit, and then I'll back into brainstorming. One of the great issues for the independent filmmaker is isolation. They don't have uh, teams of people around them. They don't get out enough. They're in the editing suite too much. They're behind the camera too much. Uh, But if they could just open it up more, open the system up, open themselves up more, then it brings in all kinds of good things. Money, effort, support, energy. Um, So quite often if I'm doing a workshop on uh, fundraising, people will say to me, especially when we're talking about individuals, how do I find individuals, right? How do I find them? 
And I'll say, well, why don't we throw a little brainstorming party? And the theory about the brainstorming party is that you invite a group, a really interesting mix of people, to a 90-minute party. And the people should be people who uh, uh, know, uh, well, if everybody's read Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, this yes. is requ- this is required reading. <laughs> right. You want right. you want to create a tipping point, and that begins by uh, inviting and talking to influence influencers in your community and the mavens in your community, the people who know everybody else, right? So you invite a group of really interesting people who know other people, uh, who are experts in the field, just an interesting group. And you promise them that. They'll be together for 90 minutes. You promise them that you will not ask them for money. That's very important. And you just say to them, all I want to do is pick your brain for 90 minutes with a group <laughs> of really interesting people, right? <laughs> and right. hope that you can help me out. Uh, and almost everybody, if they're invited that way, will come to the party. And that at the party, you and or a friend or an assistant have uh, – uh, some butcher paper up on a wall, and you just turn to the group and say, I'm going to show you a little clip from my film. I want to tell you what this film is about. Ask me some questions, and then I'm hoping that you can give me some suggestions for uh, people, places, organizations, ideas that will, will help move me and my project forward. And these parties always work, and you come out of them with just a huge bank of ideas uh, that will keep you busy for a year at least. And quite often the ideas include uh, wealthy people or people of influence that you should go to in the community. The other thing that I find almost always is at these parties is that even though you are not asking for money, people at the party will write you a check. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, because now they're excited and they want to get involved. Uh, and sometimes people at the party will say, I want to help you. Mm-hmm. And that help might be helping you do fundraising or helping open doors for you or helping find uh, assets that you need that will move you forward. So nothing but good comes of these kinds of parties, and I highly recommend throwing them. Plus, they're fun. <laughs> Yes, that sounds like fun. Well, when you tell people, just bring your brilliant ideas and come because you are so smart. You've done such a great job with your life, and I need that entrepreneurial energy to support me. They are honored to be there. Yes, and, you know, there's a, there's a saying, a phrase in fundraising that is very true, and the phrase goes, uh, if you want advice, ask for money. Right. If you want money, ask for advice. Exactly. That's exactly right. I love that phrase, and it is so true. So true. (laughs) Well done. Okay. So, um, first of all, where can people get your little uh, funding fundraising house party book? Well, the best place to get it is to come to my website, uh, warshawski.com. And if you mention this program, I will give you $5 off any book that you buy, and I'll sign it personally. Oh, uh, wonder. And I take credit cards, cash, firstborn, whatever. So that's <laughs> warshawski.com. Um, but if you insist on going to Amazon, you can buy all my books on, on Amazon as well. Okay. Now let's get into government grants because you've got them listed and you say there's an upside and a downside for all grants, and that we really appreciate. So um, tell us about getting money from the government. Well, government grants come in uh, all sizes and colors, uh, and they uh, briefly, uh, national, regional, local, uh, government agencies make grants available. But uh, there are some provisos about that. Uh, The upside to getting money from uh, a government agency or from any granting agency is that typically they're not in the game to give out small amounts of money. So when you go to individuals, 
you're mostly going to get three-figure, sometimes four-figure, very, very rarely a five-figure amount. But it's going to be mostly two and three figures. Uh, with the government agencies, they're not in the game to give less than four or five figures because it's, it's not worth their time. Uh, so that's an upside. Is you're usually going to get something substantial. Another upside that I really like about government agencies is that they're very transparent because they have to be by law. <laughs> and that means that the research is easy to do. And the key to all good fundraising, be it going to individuals or foundations or government agencies, is research. You never want to ask for a dime until you've really done your research. And the beautiful thing about government agencies is that they're easy to research. You can see how much they give out, what they give it to. Their guidelines must be posted publicly so you know what they want to get from you before they give you a dime. They have to list who works for the agency. It's all right there. Um, so that's that's all good things. There are downsides, and one of the big downsides is uh, the paperwork. So if you're a filmmaker who isn't good at writing, hates writing, doesn't like paper, you're in trouble because a government agency is going to want a lot of paperwork from you. They will want a perfect written grant proposal, and they're going to want a lot of things in writing. Uh, I actually kind of like that. I think it's a great assignment, exercise for the filmmaker, because my theory is the better you are at articulating your project in its entirety, the better you'll be at asking anybody for money, because now you can answer any question. So quite often, if you haven't done all the homework yet, you might not be ready to ask because you can't answer some questions. Government agencies force you to answer those. Um, and then uh, another downside is they're very slow. So <laughs> they're not giving you money tomorrow or next week, next month. You know, the government agency might have one deadline a year. Well, right now it's like February 4th. Let's say that their deadline was January 31st. Oh, so now you're 12 months away from applying. <laughs> and then once you apply, you're six months away from hearing from them. So rule of thumb is that with any government agency, you're anywhere from six months to 18 months away from seeing a dollar. So that's... That's difficult. And then the other, there are two more big downsides. The first is competition. The competition is just fierce for these these grants. You know, you're lucky if, if your odds are 1 in 20. They're really, really fierce. Um, so those are, are downsides that you have to be aware of. And also, if you do get the money, uh, you're going to have to do even more paperwork. They're going to hold you accountable. So your systems, ho hopefully you've got some kind of system, your systems have to be ready to accept uh, government dollars and provide regular accounting uh, to the agency. Um, so that's kind of, in a nutshell, uh, what uh, government agencies are about. You need to be aware, too, that they're they're very fickle. And government funding goes up and down with the economy. So, you know, the last few years were not good years to try and get money from, from government agencies. Uh, now that we think the recession is over, it's gotten a little better, but really not that much better. Right. Well, Maury, uh, give us an average page size for an NEH or uh, grant. Oh, my gosh. Uh, for those who don't know the the acronyms, uh, NEH is the National Endowment for the Humanities. And they're actually an excellent funder for a film if you can get money from them because they will give you a large grant. Uh, but they are also, in terms of paperwork, the most difficult funder. They expect the most paperwork from you and research. And their grants are going to be anywhere from you know 20 to 50 pages long. When right. You yeah. 
including the involvement of uh, humanists, you know, serious scholars. Uh, and they're going to want to see all the research you've done on the, on the background of the topic, and they're going to want a full treatment as well and an extensive budget, the, the whole shot. <laughs> um, so it's a lot of work. You know, if you're going to write one of those grants, it's going to take a minimum of 40 hours of your time. Good. Good to know. And below that, um, what uh, the NEA, how is that grant? The National Endowment for the Arts is actually one of the easier proposals, except for the technology of it. It used to be you could uh, write it up. It's just a few pages long, uh, and you could send it in. But now you have to submit to the government submission system, and they make it a, a little bit difficult to submit everything out. All has to be done online, and it takes a while to figure it out. Um, but if you can figure that out, it's actually not a difficult grant to apply for. And you have to remember, too, that because the National Endowment for the Arts is an arts agency, they're very, very interested not just in your proposal, the writing, but in your work sample. And your work sample is going to be the most important part of the proposal. Uh, so you actually like a funder like that that's going to look at your work uh, and weigh it more heavily than everything else. Yes. Because hopefully, hopefully, since you're a filmmaker, that should be the one thing that you're really good at. <laughs> but there's a science to doing those as well. Yeah, I bet there is. <laughs> uh, yeah. well, tell us about researching other grants. Or all, uh, a lot of grants are available through online research, what what places do you recommend people use? Well, now you're talking about getting grants from foundations. Right. Yes, and foundations are interesting animals because they come in every stripe and size. There are really large foundations like the Ford Foundation, where if you call, you'll be lucky to get a secretary on the line. And then there are really tiny, small family foundations, and if you call them up, you'll get the person who runs it, the person who's giving the money away, and then everything in between, including <clears throat> some uh, animals like community foundations. Um, so private foundations, uh, they can be a good place to go for support. The research uh, has gotten easier over the years because now you can do almost all of it from your uh computer and your desk, but you probably are going to have to make a trip to the Foundation Center Library or to their website at some point uh, to really do the research deeply. Um, and then uh, another part of research is to look at films of similar ilk, films in the same topic area as your films, and just look at who's funded them. We just go to the end credits and see if you can see who's funded those films. That's a great place to start. It's a shortcut to finding who's going who's likely to, to fund your film. A mistake, I think the biggest mistake that uh, filmmakers make when looking for foundation support is that they only research foundations that give to film and video. And that's a big mistake. For one thing, there's only a handful of them that do, and everybody knows who they are. And that means everybody's going there, and the competition is just impossible. <laughs> but the the other thing is that you're much more likely to get foundation support for your film from a foundation that has the same mission as your film has. And in other words, it's interested in the same topic area. So if your film is really about health, education, environment issues, religion, or social justice, I would be going towards those foundations, whether or not they have funded film before, and also, oddly enough, whether or not they say in their guidelines, we don't fund film. I would ignore that. <laughs> you would ignore it? Oh, my gosh, yeah. that's very Yes, cool. I would. I would ignore that if you feel really strongly that this is a really good match for you and the topic of your film. 
then I would still give them a try. Because many a film has gotten support from a place that said, we have never funded film before, we do not film now, we will never fund film in the future. <laughs> and then they end up funding your film. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Really good, important. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's true. This I like to answer the phone at my company. Uh-huh. Uh, it's fun. You never know who's going to be on the line, what a good conversation you can have, and I love hearing from filmmakers. And uh, when it's near a grant time, I love to listen to the pitches and things. So you're right. The smaller grants, you can get them on the phone. And, and uh, I always have tips for them based on their the genre or the film or yes. um there's there's always something new I can tell them to do that will move them up the ladder a bit when they do call and I think that that is the key to to getting in these grants and the other thing is getting a relationship with the grantee yes. person yes. and I put that in in my book a long time ago and um and an editor, a woman who helped me edit a book, she took, she went to work for a law firm, and it was a nonprofit law firm, and she said, you know, I really thank you for letting me edit the book because I learned so much. I've raised 80000 for three years in a row. I said, oh, my mm. gosh, why did you do that? And she said, I got to know the funding woman yeah. at an organization, just like you said, and I thought, my gosh, just that little move had helped fund that whole legal department that was helping Hispanics get their um, citizenship. Yeah. So, you know, Mari, when you look at sometimes the ripple effect of the work we do, it is so yeah. wonderful. Yes, well, you're one of the better funders. You actually answer the phone and you're really generous and you talk to people. It It, it is all personal. And the key to being really good at getting money from private foundations is to get hold of somebody on the phone or in person uh, and make it personal, make them love you and love the project. Uh, that's really the key to fundraising in the foundation world. A lot of people think that it's on the basis of your proposal. No, the proposal is the tip of the iceberg. If you're not making personal contact, it's not going to happen. I so really think that's important. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, as to the, my, my daughter is working on a new film, and it takes place uh, in Kansas City. And I said to her on the phone, you know, we should start researching uh, uh, foundations in Kansas City because I think you could probably raise all your money there. So I did a little research for her, and I discovered a, a, a small family foundation in Kansas City and I recognized the name because I had gone to high school with with a girl with the same last name. Oh, my. Uh, right. Uh, so, you, you know, the hair on the back of my neck is going up, and I'm thinking, wow, that's that's great. And then I take a look at their 990 form online. That should be part of your research, is mm-hmm. looking at the foundation's uh, <clears throat> tax return. So I look at the 990 form, and sure enough, she's she's listed as one of the trustees. Her father died, and she and her brothers and sisters now run the foundation. So I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, we have got to approach this foundation for support. Uh, well, I call the number that's listed, and nobody answers the phone. It turns out to be the wrong number. So I'm at loggerheads. I'm doing this research, and I go back to 990, and I find the name, phone number, and address of the tax accountant who filed the form. Okay. Smart move, yes. Right. So I call the tax accountant, and she answers the phone. <laughs> and I say, I'm so glad I reached you. I'm trying to get hold of the XYZ Foundation. My name is Maury Wachowski, and as it turns out, I went to high school with my name, the, the woman who set up the foundation. And she says, well, I'm glad you called because I am actually the, the, the trustee of the foundation. <laughs> This is the, the tax account. Uh, so she says, tell me a little something about your project. And I tell her about the project, and she says, oh, my gosh. I, I know the person you're talking about that your daughter's making the film about. 
my office is two doors down from hers. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She says I had lunch with her last week. <laughs> oh, small okay. world. She says to me, this film must be made. We must help you make this film. She says, I want your daughter to call me personally, and I'm going to tell her what to write and what to send to me, and I'm going to hand this off personally to the XYZ person who will be in town next week. Um, and sure enough, you know, a month later, uh, my daughter got this five-figure uh, donation. Uh, oh. So um, that's kind of an ideal scenario, but it, in that scenario, there's some important lessons. And the first lesson is research, research, research. Yeah. You know? I mean, part of the ask was I knew how much they were capable of giving. And before my daughter made the ask, I said, ask for this amount. And what did she, she say? Did she say, that's too much? I don't think I can get it? Or was she open? My daughter thought, that's too much. I don't think I can get it. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to my daughter, no, I've done the research. I've seen what they give. And this is at, at the high end of giving. But that's where we should start. Good, uh, good. Smart. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, we vetted that with our contact, the accountant, before we brought the the proposal. We said to her, we're thinking about asking for what do you think. And that's the conversation you want to have. And, you know, once they love you and love the project, they will give you an honest answer. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. So you want kind of all of that in the environment of of looking for foundation support, you know, knowing what you need to ask for, doing the research, making a really strong contact and case, having an ad- advocate for you at the foundation, and then you're likely to make it happen. Oh, well said. Yes. It really is a personal business, and it's a small business. You may think it's not, but it is a small industry, this film industry. And everyone you meet is important to you, not only now but five and ten years from now, because who might be someone's assistant now could be yeah. the grant giver in five years or ten years. And when you know that person, you just grow with them. So I I think sometimes applying for grants <clears throat> is beneficial, even if you know you're not going to win. I, I recommend yeah. sometimes when films are uh, lean towards an ITVS that you apply. At least yeah. you uh, have that experience and they know who you are. And, yes, you may have to go back three or four times, but who cares? Yes, you want to be in their face. You want them to get to know you. So it, it is important to do that work. Yes. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, the other thing is something I call currying serendipity. Encouraging okay. serendipity. And that means, you know, throwing a pe- pebble into the pond and letting the ripples move out and seeing what they hit. Uh and that's part of this work. That's why you want to apply to ITVS. Because what happens at ITVS, the crucial thing is the panel. Yes. They're going to bring in a group of panelists from around the country who are well-known filmmakers, experts in the field, and they're going to have to read your proposal and, and look at your clip. That introduces you to them. And you never know how that's going to pay off later. And that's why you've got to network your buns off. (laughs) You've got to go to meetings and colloquiums and festivals and workshops and meet everybody, you know. And uh, and that's why you must, must have your social media and social networking act together. And you've got to have a database that's dynamite and accessible. And you've got to be working that all the time. Uh, I know. And that's... That's part of being a filmmaker. It is. In today's world, I know it's additional work, but it really pays off because uh, one of my films that won the grant, it was a music film, the last interview of Johnny Cash. It's a beautiful film. And she was at the point of selling it to iTunes, and she couldn't close the contract because she didn't have 5,000 names on Facebook. Yes. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, right now, I mean, this week at least, Facebook is really important. You need to have a lot of friends on Facebook. Yes. Every filmmaker. Every filmmaker needs that, as well as in their database. So all of yeah. that is really 
important. Um, and I bet your daughter knows all that. She does. I've pushed her into it, and she's really good at it. She is really good. <laughs> uh, so as an example, you know, uh, IndieWire has a project of the week, a project of the month, a project of the year. Uh, and uh, three weeks ago, uh, through social networking, she made her new project, Big Sonia, a project of the week because she got so many friends on Facebook who voted for her and made their friends vote for her. And just this week now she's working on making it a project of the month, and I, I have my fingers crossed that that will succeed, and it's all through social networking. Oh, my heavens, that's brilliant. And just look at all the new names she'll pick up for her next exactly. Indiegogo campaign, right? Exactly. So it pays off in the long term. And the big payoff is when the film is released. When it's released, she's got a built-in audience. Exactly. People are going to advocate for it and push for it. Yes. You know, part, part of your job as a filmmaker is creating what I call rabid fans. If the filmmaker would just say to themselves, part of my job today is I have to increase the number, density, and commitment of rabid fans. That should be part of your mantra. true, because then they are pitching the film for you. Exactly. Oh, my God. Well, um, let's go to the pitch, because I remember uh, when we were working together in L.A., you were doing a seminar, and you said that I can tell you in 30 seconds if you're if you'll get your funding for your film or not from your pitch. And I was floored. Uh, it's that important, Maury? Uh, it's more than that important. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, with a capital Y and three exclamation marks. <laughs> oh, yeah. The pitch is huge. Uh I can't emphasize enough how important the pitch is. So why is the pitch important? Uh, For many, many reasons. One reason is you are going to be using it a lot. You're going to be using it every day. It's the key tool uh, for turning people towards you and getting them excited and involved with your project. And it also encapsulates a lot of information very quickly. So the exercise of creating the pitch is an important exercise because it makes you say to yourself, who do I want to talk to? What's really important about this project? How can I hook people into it very quickly? Because remember, your job is make people love you, make people love the project. Well, part of that beginning dance is being able to say something very quickly that makes people want to know more. So the whole function of the pitch is it makes people want to know more. It makes people want to talk to you. You know, the big mistake filmmakers make is that if you ask them about the project, they'll go on and on and on about it, whether or not you're interested, whether or not you show interest. They can talk for 20, 30 minutes about the project and not look you in the eye once and ask you whether or not you want to know more. The beauty of the pitch is, and a pitch should be no longer than 20 seconds long. And in fact, you know, what I'd like is uh, two little tools. One tool is a tagline, which is like one to five words at the most. And the next element is a 20-second pitch. After the pitch, anything can happen. But you should be able to be at a party. And this is a scenario all of us are familiar with. You're at a party, a dinner. You're in an elevator. You're at the Safeway buying groceries, and you start a conversation with somebody. And at some point, they say to you, well, what do you do? And you say, I'm a filmmaker. And then they say, oh, that's interesting. What are you working on? Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> yeah, that happens all the time. So that's that moment when somebody says to you, what are you working on? That moment is so important. It's so packed with potential. That if you misuse that moment, (laughs) well, you can't misuse that moment. It's an important moment. And in that moment, you throw your tagline. You say, well, I'm working on a film about uh, wheatgrass. And they'll go, 
oh, my gosh, wheatgrass, well, what's that? I've never even heard about that. <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, this literally happened to me at, at, an, uh, at a workshop I was doing. Because some makers come up to me all the time with pitches. And this guy had this pitch. He said, wheatgrass, one word. And he had my attention. Yes. He had my attention. Great. I perked up and I said, well, what, what is that? What's, you know, tell me a little more. And then he had a really good 20-second pitch. And after his 20-second pitch, we started a conversation. So what you want is a pitch that engenders a conversation, a dialogue, not a monologue, because you want engagement, you want interest. You also want people to turn away quickly if they're not in interest so that you can move to somebody else. And right. That's equally, imp- that's equally important. Yeah. Yes, but uh, you know, in my intentional filmmaking class, I have to say it's getting people to practice their pitch in front of us. Um, yeah. They get very frightened, and if you can't pitch it around other filmmakers who are there to love and support you, then you have a problem. So how do we get people over that fear? Yeah, make them role play. Just practice, practice, practice. Do it out loud. Do it with uh, with friends, uh, with people who give you good feedback in safe environments. So practice it a lot in safe environments so you can be ready any time. I mean, I tell my clients, once you've got your pitch down, I should be able to sneak into your be- bedroom in the middle of the night, wake you up, and you give me your pitch with passion. <laughs> You're ready to do it all the time with passion and energy. Now, remember, we started this conversation an hour ago talking about mission, vision, and values. Yes. Ah, so this is where you've got that energy nugget. It pays off in the pitch. Every time you give the pitch, you draw on that energy of the mission to give passion to your pitch. Oh, it it comes full circle, doesn't it? Yes. Well, you just mentioned uh, consultation, so tell us about the services you have available. Yeah, I do something I call an initial consultation with an independent filmmaker. They send me a whole pile of materials that uh, I I look over and pour over before we talk. And then we have a a two-hour really in-depth, deep conversation on the phone about a lot of things, including fundraising and how to do fundraising. Uh, And you can read about that on my website on the workshops page. And that's the major thing I do with independent filmmakers – once we have done the individual consultation, then I'm very flexible about working on an hourly or retainer basis. Um, that's how I work with individuals, and I often do workshops around the country, um, and I've got the books available. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Oh, well, Mari, I hope you will um, make sure that you let me know when you're doing your seminars around the country so we can do it, uh, put it out on our social network, please. I'll be happy to, yes. Yeah, they are so beneficial. I can attest for that. You won't leave there without learning a lot. You, and you feel empowered when you leave Mari's workshops. You know you can do it, and now you know why and how to do it. So your your website is warshawski dot com. Yes. Okay. W a r s h warshawski dot com. S h i. Yeah. W a r w a r s h a w s k i. S k i. Just like it sounds. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, thank you, Maury. We really appreciate all this information and. Uh, and the and your interest and your concern for filmmakers is so important to all of us because it comes through in everything you say. Your job is to help them find funding, and and the success that you've had with filmmakers is incredible. I hear about it all the time. So thank you thank for you. sharing all this. And thank you for everything you do for independent filmmakers. It's really appreciated. Oh. Great. Thanks, Maury. All right, so it's uh, warshawski.com, and if you want to buy the books and you've heard the the show, then be sure and mention that to Maury. And thank you very much for joining us, and thank you, Claire, for hosting the show. Yes, wonderful conversation. Looking forward to hearing more in the future, and also uh, the conversation with your daughter, Maury, that you were uh, referring to about uh, some of the digital uh, distribution that she with. Yes, I hope you can have her as a guest. She's great. 
Yes, we'd love yes. it. We'll do that. Thank you Bye. so much. Be Bye. well. Bye-bye. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.